1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 27. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Would the real Paul please stand up? Um, there's no Pauls here, is there? <laughs> Good. Uh, before the Apostle Paul became a Christian, his birth name was the very Jewish-sounding Saul. And Saul was a Jew's Jew. He'd been trained by the very highly respected rabbi Gamaliel, and he had become a very zealous member of the party of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, you may recall, are the ones who always seem to be at loggerheads with Jesus. Um, and before Saul met the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, he believed very strongly that he was doing God's work by stamping out the very existence of these heretical Christians. Uh, so that's one side of Saul, very Jewish. But he's also a Roman citizen. Um, Roman citizenship was something which was very expensive. It was a very expensive privilege to purchase. But Paul didn't have to pay for his citizenship because he was a citizen by birth. Um, and more than once, citizenship, Paul's citizenship saved the bacon. Right? When he was in strife, he could just say, oh, actually, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't just punish me without a trial. And, um, and it saved him a few times. Now, as a Jew, Saul lived by the Old Testament law. He believed that the only salvation available to anyone was through the law. And although he was born in Gentile territory, a Gentile is basically anyone who's not a Jew, by the way. He cut himself off from the Gentiles. After all, to a Jew, the Gentiles were unclean. But everything changed. When Saul was travelling on his way to Damascus, where he intended to arrest some more of those dastardly Christians, Jesus confronted him, and he was blinded by a bright light. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. You see, Jesus had a purpose for Saul. And through that Jew's Jew, who hated Christians so much, Jesus was going to save the Gentiles. Now, that's a bit of a strange match, you might think. 
But that was the way that God was going to do it. And thus began one of the most amazing transformations that this world has ever seen. Saul, who eventually began using the name Paul, which had more of a Gentile ring to it, understood very well the immensity of God's grace. Saul was very aware that he was the worst of sinners. He'd been personally responsible for hunting down Jesus's precious children and arresting them and throwing them into prison. He'd personally overseen the execution of Stephen and maybe even others. We know about Stephen. There may have been more. We don't know. Saul was a man who had been forgiven much. He had hated much and he became a man who was forgiven much. And so Paul understood very well the enormity of God's grace. He'd been set free from his sins, which were multitude. He'd been forgiven for his rebellion against God, which had been unrelenting. He'd also been set free from the unachievable burden that he once used to try to to strive for, of trying to keep right with God by keeping God's law. He was set free from that too. In Christ, he was truly free. And he understood this freedom very well and he valued his freedom so much. Paul became a master in giving grace. You see, he had received so much grace and he was able to then give that grace. Those who have received grace and have experienced the freedom of the gospel are the ones who are best at giving grace and who are best at living by grace. And those who are freest are those who give up their freedom for the sake of others. The way Paul lived out the freedom that we've received in Christ made it a little bit difficult at times to work out, well, give me a real picture of Paul. What does he really believe? Which is the real Paul? For instance, if we read Paul's letter to the Galatians, um, and probably just about every letter he's written, we can find glimpses of this, but, but his letter to the Galatians is where he really hammers it hard, is where he utterly condemns those who insist that if the Gentiles want to become Christians, then they've got to be Jews as well, right? They, they insist that they've got to get circumcised, they've got to keep all of the Jewish food laws and, and, and rules and regulations. And Paul says to these people, no way. I, I don't know what gospel it is that you're preaching, but it's not the gospel of grace. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. What you're preaching is a distortion because the gospel of Christ is all about grace. It's not about the keeping of religious rules and regulations. And we can go, aha, there's the true Paul, always teaching grace, never making anybody yield to the law. So there's the picture of the real Paul. But then we can get a bit confused because we might read in Acts chapter 16 where Paul meets Timothy and can see Timothy, yes, you're going to be a really good missionary for the gospel. And he takes Timothy with him on his missionary journeys. But before he goes, because he's going to go into some Jewish territory, what does he do to Timothy? Circumcises him. And again, in Acts chapter 21, Paul goes through all of the Jewish ritual cleansing process to purify himself before going to the temple. Really? 
Is that the real Paul? I mean, the one, Paul is the one who is so adamant that we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We're not cleansed by sacrifices. We're not cleansed by these religious um, ceremonies and whatnot. And here he is going through this purifying process before he goes to the temple. What's going on? Sometimes he seems to be yielding to the law and then other times he's getting up people who are promoting the law. Which is it? Um, Paul could be a very easy target uh, to accuse of being two-faced. See, they couldn't work out where he is at. Was he more Jewish or was he more Gentile? He, He seemed to fit in with both. He seems to amend his customs and his practices and change the way he does things depending on who he's running with. Some might have said he runs with the foxes and hunts with the hounds. We don't know what side he's on. Well, I think here's the lesson. Let's throw out this language about sides. In Christ, there are no sides. The gospel isn't about taking sides. The gospel is about giving up everything that doesn't matter so much to love. It's about giving up everything that doesn't matter so much so that someone who is not saved might be drawn to Jesus. Paul gave up his preferences. Paul gave up his rights and he amended his customs for the sake of the gospel. He was a free man. He he was a citizen of Rome. He was a slave to no man. And he is a citizen of the kingdom of God. He was totally free in Christ. But he says, I'm free, but I make myself a slave to everyone to win them for Christ. You see, the way that Paul behaved, his customs and practices, Um, mixing it with the Jews, mixing it with the Gentiles, living like a Jew when he was with the Jews, living like a Gentile when he was with the Gentiles. It was for the sake of the gospel. But I think more than that, it's the very nature of the gospel. It's the physical demonstration of the good news of Jesus Christ. Because isn't this what Christ did? Didn't Christ give up his rights? Didn't Christ give up his position? Didn't Christ give up living in the most holy of holy places to come down to earth and to mix it with plebs like us? One commentary puts it like this. The Apostle Paul did not stand on his dignity but adapted himself to the position of his hearers in a wholehearted determination to win them for Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that he did anything sinful or immoral. Uh, If he was going to take the gospel to idol worshippers, that doesn't mean that he began worshipping idols himself just so that he could connect better with those that he was going to preach to. Uh, If he was going to take the gospel to thieves, that didn't mean he'd sort of go and pick a few pockets first just so that he could share thieving stories with with the ones he was going to take the gospel to. Um, Verse 21 says, To those outside the law, I became as one outside of the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. 
Right? He, he didn't pretend or act as if he was free to do whatever he liked. He was still under the law of Christ. And so he would always conduct himself righteously and morally. But if anything wasn't unrighteous or immoral in itself, and that thing was a barrier for others to coming to Christ, well, that wasn't a problem at all for Paul to amend his ways and to do things differently, provided it wasn't going to cause him to sin. And sometimes Paul would go to quite extraordinary lengths if he believed that it was going to help him to win another person for Christ. For example, when Paul went to Athens, that's the university town, if you like, of Greece, uh, where all the, the philosophers and the academics would enjoy gathering together to hear each other spruik on about their latest philosophies and their latest beliefs and their latest understanding of their gods. Now, as a Jew, Paul had had it drummed into him not to have anything to do with paganism, right? Don't have anything at all to do with this. Get right out of it. And I suspect his personal preference would have been to avoid having to deal with this at all. Oh, here's a really pagan city. I'm just going to get out of here. I just feel terribly uncomfortable here. But that's not what he did. When Paul went to Athens, he knew that if he was going to win these academics and these philosophers for Christ, then he had to be able to talk to them on their level. And so he went and he did some research and he walked through that city looking at all of their various gods and studying the inscriptions that had been written about them and he studied their poets who were speaking from a pagan perspective and he learnt them. He knew them well enough that he was able to quote them to them. How would you feel about spending a couple of, re couple of weeks studying the Quran? Ooh. Ooh. Some of you might go, ooh, that's the devil's book. I, no, we can't even open one of those. We'll, we'll get into spiritual trouble. Well, I haven't read the Quran. Seen little bits of it. But if I had a neighbour next door to me who was a Muslim, I'd probably have to read it to know what he believes so that I can then help him to understand Christ. Um, now, I wouldn't enjoy doing it. It's not my preference at all to spend a couple of weeks reading something ungodly like that. But if by doing so, it helped me to win someone for Christ, that is an example of what Paul did in Athens. Right? Now, you might say, well, that's extreme. Yeah. I just want you to understand, that's basic, that's the equivalent of what he did in Athens. Likewise, when Paul went on mission to the Jews, he became as a Jew. Although Paul was quite free of the Jewish law himself when he took the gospel to the Jews, he didn't do anything that was going to unnecessarily offend the Jews. Uh, it wasn't a sin for him to circumcise Timothy. It wasn't a sin for him to go through the Jewish cleansing ritual. And so, although it was unnecessary for him to do so, he did these things so that the Jews wouldn't be offended by him and, and reject him even, though he, even before he got a chance to tell them about Jesus. So in verse 22, he says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, 
that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. How is he sharing with them in its blessings, in the blessings of the gospel? The only way we can share in the blessings of the gospel is to lead others to repentance of sin, the knowledge of Jesus, the repentance of sin, and the gift of eternal life. Um, something that Paul already had, and now he was sharing it. Now, I don't want you to get confused at all and say, okay, oh, he's talking about, you know, worshipping other gods. No, we're not. We're not at all. That's not what Paul did. Paul learned their customs, learned what they were doing, so that he could then argue and say, hey, this is what you believe. Now, let me tell you about the real God. And his aim was to help them to move from their false beliefs to the true belief of believing in Jesus. Right. Now, verses 24 to 27 um, are very often taken as four verses all on their own. And quite often that's all the preacher might preach on for the day. And by doing so, these four verses are often totally disconnected from the subject that they're really talking about. When Paul talks about running the race to receive the prize, he's talking about going to any lengths in giving up our own preferences or our own rights or our own customs to win the unsaved for Christ. He's talking about becoming all things to all people. He's talking about putting ourselves into unfamiliar situations and unpreferred situations for the sake of giving an unbeliever a better chance of meeting Jesus. So let me read it to you again. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What a great metaphor for giving our all for God. And Ellen, good job. Good job with showing that to the kids today. Now, when he says all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, that doesn't mean that only one person in the whole wide world is ever going to please God in their Christian life. And so the rest of us, well, we might as well give up. That's not what he means at all. His point is all about the importance of training. It's about being race ready, trained, fit, and it's about putting in our all to run the race well. It's about not being distracted by anything that's not so important. He says, I do not run aimlessly. Now, so many Christians, we just get into the pattern where we just coast along in our Christian life, enjoying our status of being the redeemed. I'm saved, and yes, I know God wants me to be sharing my faith, but I just love being a Christian. And we just get set on just being just us and God, and they never intentionally look for ways that they can connect with unbelievers. A very real predicament is for us to become so consumed and so engrossed and so enveloped in church life and church culture and, and enveloped in the, our, the relationships which are good, 
of the whole Christian body, but get so engrossed in it that we never have time to cultivate relationships with unbelievers. The challenge is for us to get intentional about connecting with unbelievers and intentionally finding ways of bringing Christ into those relationships. He also says, I do not box as one beating the air. Right? You know, shadow boxing or just always missing. Um, when I was a young fella, yes, a long time ago, learning to use an axe and I'd miss, um, or learning to drive a nail and I'd miss the nail and probably hit my thumb, or learning to shoot and I'd miss the, docks, the dot on the cardboard box Dad always had a saying for instances like that. Um, so, for instance, he might have been teaching me to split posts with wedges and a sledgehammer. And I'd take a great big almighty swing with a sledgehammer and wham it down and thud. It had missed the wedge and hit, hit the post instead, hit the log. Now, without fail, my dad would say something like, the first time he hit it, he missed. And the second time he hit it in the same place. Are we missing the gospel? Are we missing with the gospel? To win the prize, Paul didn't make a habit of missing. He wasn't pretending uh, or performing pointless motions. He made every opportunity count. Now, I know I've missed a lot of opportunities to share the gospel. We all have, haven't we? I'm not the only one, am I? But we can change that. We can begin making the most of every opportunity. And you realise what he's talking about here. He's talking about getting intentional and putting aside anything that unnecessarily makes it harder for us to connect with an, with an unbeliever. Like what? I don't know. How about this? If you're anything like me, you probably feel most at home, most comfortable and most relaxed when you're in the company of other Christians. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Who loves their brothers and sisters in Christ? I hope I see all hands coming up. This is so, so much a part of who we are. But how about inviting an unbeliever around for a meal? And how about getting intentional? And ask him, hey, what's going on in your life? And what's going on in your life that you would like me to pray for? Asking an unbeliever a question like that, who knows where that might lead? Or how about this one? I've never been to a BNS. Um, I cringe at the thought of them. Uh, when I was a young fellow at Ag College, all the boys, well, not all of them, but most of them, would live for BNS weekends and just love to go and they'd come back with all their stories. Don't know what happened, but, but had a great time, I'm sure, because uh, they just can't remember it. Um, I've never wanted to go to one. But what? What if? What if next time they were planning a BNS in St George, what if the Bush Disciples offered to the organising committee would you mind if we set up a time-out tent 
where we can just put on a bit of tea and coffee, where anybody who wants a bit of time out could just come and have a cup of tea and coffee and a yarn. You know, and a, and a listening ear. And that's, that's just a couple of examples. of That would take me completely out of what I normally do. Um, and that's just a couple of examples of how we can intentionally share the gospel with unbelievers. But there is also a little warning here as well for us, and, and it's a very important warning. Paul talks about exercising self-control in all things. And he says, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, let's not forget that no matter how long I've been a Christian, I'm still subject to temptation. And you are too. When mixing with unbelievers, self-control is so important. And if we're talking, if, you, if an area of your temptation comes up, well, that's probably an area for you to stay away from. The whole purpose of connecting with unbelievers is to be a witness for Christ and to win them for Christ. The danger is to become so connected with the world that we ourselves become worldly. Christ always comes first. There is no other God before him. There is no other God beside him. And for Christ to be first means the gospel trumps our rights and the gospel trumps our personal preferences and our personal customs. These things need to fade into the background as we amend the way we do things. And we may even amend our whole lifestyle to both honour Christ and to aid in the salvation of unbelievers. Now, most Christians, and I'm speaking here from personal experience, most of us are really good at amending our lifestyle because we realise we've got to get holier and we've got to get closer to God. And, and this old way that I've been doing things, yeah, that's just, that's just not so good for my relationship between me and God. What we're not so good about is amending our lifestyle so that we can connect with unbelievers and to share the gospel with them. We've received grace. We've received a lot of grace. I, like Paul, recognise that I'm among the most undeserving. But God has given to me his immense grace. And he's given to you his immense grace. We are recipients of his amazing grace. And so like Paul, let's become masters of giving grace. In our freedom, becoming slaves to all in the hope that some might be saved.